Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's July 5th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Jonathan Belast and Michael Warren of the Weekly Standard. Uh, no uh, uh, no fireworks hangovers, guys? I, I, we had some some fireworks last night, and they were small for the for the little kids. And uh, and can I just say something? So, do do, do yeah. either of you guys know the the fireworks that were like the little tanks? Um, I grew up like playing with these things. They're they're like little tanks, and what it used to be is you light the fuse, and not only would the tank like explode and shoot, it look like it was shooting out, you know, uh, 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 missiles and things, but it would actually move the like these little wheels. And so we were very surprised to find that they don't move anymore. And th- so that was a little bit of a disappointment. But uh, that uh, sucks. Uh, I know. Aren't they just cardboard? Yeah, but they had these like the they had these little like plastic paper. wheels that kind of helped them move. So oh, yeah, actually, yeah, my cool. my my favorite are the ones that 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 shoot off the paratroopers, you know, explode, and then yes. little, little soldiers come oh, down yeah. in, in the in the in, under the parachutes. I think it's it's awesome. Actually, I went to uh, someone's house, an acquaintance's house. This is a private house in their backyard, and um, I'm I'm just I'm just spitballing this, but I think he blew ten thousand dollars on the fireworks <laughs> because I, uh, it was. If you look on my Twitter account. Just the video of it. It was amazing. It was above what you would have for most, which would have for most uh, municipal fireworks. So I, I got my, I got mine. Okay, no. So uh, Jonathan, uh, I want to thank you for uh, uh, the information that you sent me this morning because now I know the shocking moment that Andy Dick groped Pamela Anderson and uh, before uh, simulating sex act on Tommy Lee on national television. I know that just like Dad, uh, Arnie Schwarzenegger's love child, uh, something or other, displays his chiseled physique as he frolics on the beach with bikini-clad blonde. I would not normally have encountered this stuff. And Brooke Shields reveals she finally feels confident enough to wear a bikini at the age of 53 because she wanted her girls to have a fantastic idea of women's bodies. I would not have seen this, Jonathan, if it was not for you. It's it's so funny you say that because I'm staring at those headlines (laughs) at the exact moment that you're reading them off. So I, I... Sent uh, what is sent going Charlie on? That's my question. A, uh, <laughs> an important article from the Daily Mail, which I assume you guys read every day. Of course, I actually do, I actually do like the Daily Mail. I believe about half of what I read, but I enjoy reading it. <laughs> uh, three poachers are eaten, all caps, by lions after the men broke into South African nature reserve to slaughter rhinos for their horns. It's amazing, but you have to. You have to scroll down the piece as they explain which body parts they found and how there were three empty pairs of shoes. And now uh, one of the one of the people from the game reserve game preserve says that, uh, <laughs> says, you know, we think it's three people, but there there's thick brush there. There could be yeah. many more. Than this, the lion's this was my, 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 my favorite phrase was at least three hunters are believed to have been devoured by the predators at well, least. Which, just because because there's not much left here. There's just, a, it's just guessing. You know, the Daily Mail puts in photos like every four sentences. And there's one photo. It's a profile shot of a lion roaring, mouth open wide. And <laughs> the photo caption is, nature's justice. Well, it was. <laughs> there is justice in the animal kingdom. And, and, they, like, and they, 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 found, they found the hunting rifles, the axe the used by the poachers to cut off rhino horns. I mean, it's just, you know, it's one of those stories that we call, uh, you know, almost too good to check, right? You just, you want to believe that it's true. Absolutely. It has to be, right? Did, did you, was this the Ghost in the Darkness? Was that the Val Kilmer lion movie? Do you remember this, Mike Warren? Oh, no, I don't remember that no. movie. This is, I think it was Val Kilmer's 
uh, one of his, I would say, on the downward slope of Top Gun. Uh, look at one of his uh, last roles before he sort of dipped into into obscurity for a little while, and he played a guy who was, I believe, hunting uh, like a feral lion, a lion who was terrorizing a village, and it was, it was great. Even bad Val Kilmer is still awesome. Val yeah. Kilmer's like sex and well, this, pizza. This, Even when it's bad, it's still very good. This story would be at a the same fantastic time, movie. The sex and the pizza at the same time, or these are separate things, right? All three at the same time. <laughs> sex you're just not, you're just not giving Kilmer. us too much information here, are you? Because I'm just... I think we're a little uh, punchy here the day after Fourth uh, of July. Yeah, there was a lot of some of us have some PTSD from the fireworks last night, and you now what, what I, I loved last night is my my children uh, goaded me into buying hundred and twenty dollars worth of fireworks, and then bailed on the fireworks after about seven minutes because oh. they were scared of how how loud they were. Oh, so wow. I have okay, so they were a good fireworks. Full of fireworks in my garage right now, and no nowhere to set them off. Maybe I'll bring them into the office and. Yeah, actually, my, my, my son asked me this morning, he said, can we launch more fireworks today? And I said, well, yesterday was July 4th. He said, it's always July 4th. So I guess my heart, Daddy. We're, we're open to, if you want to bring them, I'll, uh, I'll launch them this weekend, JVO. All right. There, 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 there's, there's a place here in Wisconsin called Uncle Sam's, the big warehouse. And I swear, every time I, I go in there, I can, I, my, my reaction is the same. I cannot believe that you can buy this stuff on the open market. I mean, it is, it is just legal? amazing. Who says America's in decline, you know? I mean, you, you buy these huge boxes, you know, like with names like, you know, fist bump or, you know, chicken on a rope or whatever. And you <laughs> light it once and it's got like, you know, you know, 36 shots out of this one thing. So it's like a fireworks show in a box. It's wonderful. It's America's great. Okay, so because this is a serious podcast, uh, the top three contenders for the U.S. Supreme Court as of 930 this morning, according to Robert Costa, uh, are Kavanaugh, Kethledge, and Coney Barrett. We have no idea whether it's going to be one of those three or whether or not we have to wait until Monday, but uh, that sounds about right to me. Yeah, I think, um, and of course, this is what are we doing all week and, and really since since last week is just playing this kind of uh, who's it going to be reality show style thing, which I think Trump loves. Um, the, 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 the reporting that I've seen, and I haven't talked to anybody in the White House, but the, the reporting that others who have say that, uh, uh, I believe I saw this in Politico, that Coney Barrett, who was kind of emerging as an early favorite um, uh, in many ways because, uh, as we talked about on the podcast, of of actually the the, the way she kind of triggered liberals uh, with some of her, her positions and her profile, um, actually suffered a little bit in the, in the one-on-one interview. So, um, you, you know, uh, I think Cost, Robert Costa said, don't count Coney Barrett out, but, but really Kethledge and Kavanaugh seem to be emerging now. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait for the reveal show. Yeah, um, which could come any time. We don't know. Okay, so since we're still a little bit punchy from the, the, the fireworks, uh, let's get a little bit nerdy because, uh, Jonathan, also, uh, you, you you flagged a story from, of all places, Vox. And I tweeted this out, and, of course, I'm being flamed by people like, how low can you go? Nobody believes Vox. That's a Actually, it's a pretty good number crunching. And it looks at, I think the headline is Donald Trump's messy poll, the messy reality of Donald Trump's poll numbers. And it's kind of a riff, um, Ezra Klein's riff on uh, what Mike Allen and uh, Jim Vandehei of, of Axios wrote uh, last month. They basically said that uh, Donald Trump had this winning cynical plan. You know, that the more Trump does, says and tweets outrageous things, the more his critics go bananas, the better he does in the polls, which uh, you know has a certain visceral, uh, I think, plausibility to it. 
But uh, the the Vox piece looks at the numbers and, and tell me what what jumped out at you, Jonathan. Why why you were why you were jazzed on this one? So what what jumped out at me is a, a really great graph here that that Klein has, which isn't his. I think he took it from from Gallup, I'm showing at it the now. range in presidential approval. Uh, through day 479, going back to uh, how far back does it Truman. go? Truman. Truman. Oh, to Truman. Yeah, there it is, to Truman. H-S-T. And what it's what you see is you see the sort of median for every president, and Trump has the lowest mean. Me, I'm sorry, not the median, the mean approval, and Trump has the lowest mean approval of anybody since then. Uh, but what's really interesting is he has the narrowest band of approval. So his has, he's been less noisy than anybody else. The noisiest is, as you would expect, uh, George W. Bush, because George W. Bush had 9-11 happen within his first 480 days, uh, which sort of caused a giant bounce. Um, Truman's was pretty noisy, too. I imagine polling was much less sophisticated back then, so I'm not sure how much I trust that. Uh but that is interesting to me, and what what Klein suggests uh, in the course of his piece is that that tells you what you need to know, which is essentially that the Trump's cake sort of came baked in a way that no other president ever has. Uh, he just has very little room to go either up or, for you know, good news for him, or down. Uh, the people who hate Trump are always going to hate Trump, and it does not matter if uh, Trump transforms America into a world where the, the median income is $300,000 a year and there is no crime. The, the people who hate Trump are still going to hate him. Uh, but the converse is also true. The people who love him are going to love him no matter what. And that's that's pretty interesting. Uh, I mean, I think what it suggests going forward is that Republicans are probably in a better position than it might look going into the midterms. Uh, our, our buddy David Byler's model suggests that they've got a two in three chance, but a little better than two in three chance to hold the Senate. Uh, and maybe, you know, they roll double sixes and they hold the House as well. Uh, or maybe not. I mean, this is the other thing. So Trump has been remarkably lucky in the external events that have buffeted his presidency so far. Uh, nothing really serious. The economy's been very good. Uh, who knows what these numbers look like if we hit a recession? There are some reasons right. to think that, sure. that we might be heading towards recession at some point because the business cycle is the business cycle. It wouldn't be Trump's fault anymore that, uh, than you know, the recession was Obama's fault. Yeah, but so. this, this piece does highlight, again, the, the fact that you're, you're talking about 3.8% unemployment, you know, a stock market that looks red, red hot. The economy is, is very, very strong. We, you know, have, you know, despite the, you know, various, you know, ups and downs, we're still at peace around the world. So peace and prosperity, 3.8% unemployment rate, 42% approval. Is that winning? Almost any other president would have much, much higher numbers. But so, yeah, I mean, this basically does point out that this is the most stable of any president in polling history, that that the bad stuff doesn't drive him down below a certain level. The good stuff isn't going to pop him uh, any higher than, than this. Michael, your thoughts on this? Well, you know, I don't mean to keep uh, doing what Donald Trump does, which is just talk about the 2016 presidential election. Uh, but I think there are some lessons or, or, or we could sort of start there to, to maybe kind of interpret this less for the 2018 midterm um, sort of projections, but uh, for where Trump's position really is in 2020. And again, this is caveating, uh, as we just talked about, 
that that any kind of I don't know a a, a terrible natural disaster, a a, a terrible uh, foreign policy uh, or national security disaster, something that happens to the market that causes it to tumble could all change all of this. But actually, what I think is all of this is in, in context. And Ezra Klein very very much complains about the way in which Trump kind of sort of lowers the bar for what is um, what what can be called. Uh, victory or success. And I think this all traces back to the 2016 election where, Jonathan, you've always talked about how the Trump won with an inside straight, right? He basically won while losing the popular vote and he just just got by in those uh, Midwestern states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, enough to win the presidency. And I think that these, what, what this graph shows and what Ezra Klein is getting at um, here is, is that it, it sort of reflects how how difficult I think it will be to do a repeat of what happened in 2016 in 2020 because everything is so baked in um, he would essentially have to write out a great economy write out um, sort of the 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 era of of good feelings not not political but sort of in in every other sort of aspect of of how most Americans view things today and um, and he has no more wiggle room. I mean, he has nowhere else to go uh, in terms of getting more people on board. Um, I, I do think unless that- the de- unless the Democrats do what they did last time, come up with somebody who is uh, even even more unpalatable to a lot of voters. Exactly, which they which they appear to be completely capable of doing. Totally, and and I think that's 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 where we go back. Like we think, oh well, there's no way lightning could strike in the same place twice. There's no way he can get an inside straight again, mm. except he could. <laughs> and I think that that is. Um, there, there are lessons here for for everybody um, in terms of how to think about Trump's um, uh, political standing at the moment. It's 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 in many ways both um, weaker than it than it seems, and also a little bit stronger than it seems. This is to, to be a little uh, a little counterintuitive. No, I, I, you know, I, I I think you're right. I mean, you know, the Democrats keep pushing abolishing ICE and packing the Supreme Court. Lord knows what can happen. I I think that one of the numbers that jumped out to me was uh, 20 points. Uh, you know, that they look at consumer sentiment. You know, if if you don't think that unemployment is the key number, you know, the last time consumer sentiment was this high was back in January 2004, and Bush's approval rating was 60 percent. And, uh, you know, a political science professor at George George Washington, uh, John Side, says, you know, uh, Trump's poll numbers are probably 20 points below where a president would typically be with consumer sentiment as high as this is now. And I also think that Ezra Klein makes an interesting point, the soft bigotry of our low expectations for Donald Trump. You know, folks in Washington are thinking, you you know, given Trump's behavior, Shouldn't his numbers be actually lower as opposed to looking at the the economy? And, you know, at the point, you know, Trump's being investigated for Russia, obstruction of justice, responsible for caging kids at the border, uh, the you know, for undermining foreign alliances, the disarray of the White House, he enrages half the country. Uh, and as Klein says, to those of us who follow politics closely, who feel the chaos Trump has brought to his office acutely, even a 42 percent approval rating seems ridiculously generous. So I think that, that he's trying to get his head around that. But I think uh, I don't think it's that much of a mystery when you think about uh, just sort of the, the divide of American politics these days. You know, I, I would say this. The one thing that this does definitively tell us, I think, is that the speculation that Trump could be the next Reagan has turned out to be totally false. I mean, this this is, I think, you know, like just, a realignment. 
Yeah, this is affirmatively falsified by by what the polling data has shown, because one of the things that Trump supporters posited was uh, once he gets in there, once he starts cleaning out the Augean stables of Washington, uh, people will come around to him. You know, America will see renewed economic success. We'll see stability around the world. Uh, all of the undecideds and independents will flock to him. And then you wind up with, you know, 2020 looks like 1984 and, you know, giant realigning. I think that is now clearly just not on the table. That is not a pathway which is possible. That's, that's an alternate reality which we will never see uh, because of Trump and who he is. Like People don't like him, and they don't like him even with 3.8% unemployment. There is no... There is no 48 state victory that's in the offing here. No, he could pull, he could roll to another inside straight. It might even be. I mean, if the Democrats nominate somebody truly crazy, it might even be more like he rolls to, you know, drawing to a second pair, you know, or something, which is a much easier thing. And uh, maybe he, you know, you could see him even possibly winning the popular vote. You know, you yeah. see not only winning re-election, but even winning the popular vote, maybe by a million votes or something like that. Uh, but the idea of him blowing out a challenger uh, in a re-election which realigns the world, realigns American politics, because it turns out that Americans have really been impressed by him and liked him, is not something that's going to happen. Everything is going to be a fight from here on out. You, you do mention that people don't like him, but you know, obviously the flip side, and this is weird coming from me, but the flip side is there are people who absolutely adore him and who are prepared to, you know, crawl through glass who would who, who would basically, you know, you know, flip on a dime if he said, you know, up is down, you know, black is white, all of those things. Did you did you tweet out this morning that that if, in fact, he appointed Merrick Garland, one of the most entertaining <laughs> things would be watching Trump world suddenly rationalize this was the most MAGA thing ever? I mean, but, um, you know, I mean, it, it's not that long ago that I remember that there was really not that much pressure uh, with the exception of, you know, things about uh, 9-11. There wasn't that a lot of a lot of pressure. Uh, among Republicans to, you know, tug the forelock to any of the President Bushes. I just don't remember this kind of intensity. And ever since the the announcement of uh, Justice Kennedy's retirement, have you noticed the just the 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 new virulence of the attack on anyone who is not completely aboard the Trump train? It seems like almost every publication uh, to the uh, to the right of the Weekly Standard has run a piece about the utter complete humiliation and hypocrisy of anyone who is never Trump or Trump skeptical or anything other than a cheerleader for for Donald Trump. So, you know, that's the other factor that that I think the guy has a very, very hard floor. There are people who are just never going to budge. And, and it doesn't matter what happens to the economy, what happens with foreign policy. They're with the guy just, you know. Yeah, well, that's because it's a personality cult. I mean, this is well, it is. Look, the, the the difference is that when George W. Bush proposed reforming immigration in a way that looked vaguely like amnesty, the Republican caucus and conservatism absolutely freaked out and flipped out about it and went into motion to oppose it and stop him from doing it because they cared about the policy. You know, they liked George W. Bush because he was an evangelical and they thought he was a good guy and all that, but they didn't they didn't worship him. There was no there was no hero worship aspect to it. Uh, they cared much more about the policy than they did about the person. And that is simply not the case with Trump. I mean, as, as 
you said it wasn't me. It was one of my Twitter buddies who said that. But on any given issue, uh, if Trump were to say tomorrow that he takes the exact opposite line of what he does today, then his supporters would simply realign what they say they believe. And you see this even with the North Korea stuff. Remember, I mean, when Trump was promising nuclear war with North Korea, then the, the Trump supporter line was, well, of course, he has to talk that way because you don't get anywhere if you don't you know, project a tough image. And then he goes and becomes totally subservient to Kim Jong-un and gets owned like a classic beta male and all of a sudden the response is well of course you have to do that because otherwise you know he's just telling kim what he wanted to hear because he's got to get a deal done okay well, on, kim, charlie I can, I, can i can yeah, i can no, i can i break i, I, I want to i want to follow up on this i want to talk about what we're finding out about north korea and what it means for the upcoming summits in, in just in just a moment because this is my own personal obsession because almost we can we can survive almost any of this other stuff uh we get this stuff wrong and Really, really bad things happen. So just, just hold, hold that, that, that thought there. Uh, the Daily Standard podcast is brought to you, is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. Look, if you ever shower or brush your teeth or try to make your hair look presentable, which I would assume would be, you know, at least more than sixty percent of you, I've got good news for you. Dollar Shave Club has a lot of stuff to help you out. Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. They have everything you need to get ready in the, the morning. Uh, Dollar Shave Club, and it, yeah, yeah, that Dollar Shave Club delivers, you know, more than just razors. I mean, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, even a wipe that will leave your bottom feeling tingly clean. I'm a big fan of their amber and lavender calming body cleanser, which, of course, I'll, I'll take anything that says calming. I don't care what it is. I will I will do it in this particular day. You've never smelled anything like it. Look, here's a great way to try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club's products. For just five bucks, you can get their Daily Essential Starter Kit. It comes with Body Cleanser, One Wipe Charlie's, their world-famous Shave Butter, and their best razor, the Six Blade Executive. Keep the blades coming for just a few more bucks a month and add in shampoo. Dollar Shave Club, just go to dollarshaveclub.com slash weekly standard. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash weekly weekly standard okay michael warren let's talk about uh, north korea this is really a, an extraordinary story where the president continues to argue and claim that he had this tremendous success in singapore that he's gotten the north koreans to agree to denuclearization and yet we are getting multiple reports that not only uh is kim not disarming that they're actually doubling down in expanding their facilities and working overtime and apparently rather successfully in deceiving the Americans. I mean, are we supposed to be surprised by any of this? This is, it would have been surprising had uh, what the president uh, claimed, proclaimed, had come out of the summit, had come to be true because um, past his prologue, we know how the Kim regime operates. We, we know that um, there's been uh, a an effort by Kim Jong Un to be a little more media savvy, to be less like a hermit than his father, but no indication that he was really seriously changing any of his policies or certainly any real uh, change in his nuclear uh, in his pursuit of nuclear weapons, um, which again is uh, a built-in. Uh, a goal of the regime in North Korea. This is not, you know, uh, some policy they started pursuing a couple of years ago and, uh, well, maybe this is something we should just put off to the side. This is sort of in integral to North Korea's survival, at least how they perceive it. Does Donald Trump it. understand this? I mean, the people around him seem to get this, but the president of the United States 
you know, continues to tout this as a huge success. So there's there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance with nuclear weapons. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, doesn't that make you um, want to you know sleep well at night? Yeah, I think I think the president has a perspective that. Um, that that the theatrical elements of this, that um, the declaration of victory uh, is an important part of making victory, of, of achieving victory uh, in these sorts of uh, situations, even though that's um, just self-evidently not true. And we see this, you know, Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, going back over to North Korea um, uh, in, in order to uh, engage in more talks. Now, we all knew that they were going to be whatever happened uh, unless, uh, you know, Trump or Kim walked out in a huff uh, from Singapore, that there were going to be follow on uh, talks. But again, sure. all of that cuts against the president's own claim, which he is, he is not rescinded. He's not said, I, I spoke a little too soon, uh, that the nuclear threat is over. It's not over. And now we know um, that even the claims to be uh, pulling back from uh, from the from the uh, nuclear program were just not true. Okay, so this is what's alarming about it, because I would think that the the two things that Donald Trump uh, fears the most would be, number one, uh, being uh, perceived as being weak, and number two, being perceived as a chump, somebody who has been duped. And, of course, uh, Weekly Standard has a headline, Trump the Chump, uh, up right now, suggesting that uh, that he was out-negotiated or he's just really, really bad at this. And, of course, this comes on the eve of going in and – you know, the summit with a master negotiator. I don't I don't want to you know attribute too much to him, but uh, Vladimir Putin is not an amateur at this, and he's got to be watching all of this. So I guess the key question is, okay, so Mike Pompeo goes to the North Koreans and said, look, you have to do X, Y, and Z, uh, you know, for us to have a, a deal. If the North Koreans basically say um, no, or they are clearly playing the game that they have mastered over decades now of uh, of misdirection and, and delay, is Donald Trump willing to basically say, okay, that summit I said was a success turns out not to be a success, or is he so invested in this that he's going to allow himself to be duped knowing that the eyes of the world are on him? Did, did you follow that question? Yeah, n- okay. look, <laughs> I, I, I did follow it, and, and I, okay. think, I think the... Well, I'm trying to think where to start first. So I, yeah. I think that the president has does not have the ability to say... Um, you know, that didn't really work out even, I think even privately to himself, um, that didn't work out. I need to change course. There's, there's always another actor, um, who, who caused the problem, uh, or, or who caused it not to work, you know, that, um, uh, whatever the case is, whether it's this Singapore summit or this, this summit with Putin in Helsinki, if something doesn't work out right, he'll have somebody else to blame. I, I go back to an, an, an Irwin Stelzer's piece on our website's definitely worth reading, uh, about Trump as a, as a Trump in these negotiations. Um, and I actually want to give the president a little credit on this. Uh, I spent a, spending a little time with him in the Trump hotel during the campaign. Um, he was showing it off to a bunch of journalists who thought he was going to make a statement about his presidential campaign at the time, but he was I just wa- waltzing yeah. around. Um, I was actually very impressed with his knowledge um, and interest in things about buildings and things about real estate. And I get the sense the guy actually may even know a thing or two. Um, and that's very useful in negotiations. The problem with with the with President Trump is that there's so much he doesn't know, and there's so much that he doesn't even know he doesn't know about these things. And and that's not to say that I or you or anybody else knows those things as well. But here's what's really important: the North Koreans, they know they know everything about 
domestic American politics, about about what every single uh, person who's talking to President Trump, what their motivations are. And the Mm -hmm. same goes for Vladimir Putin and Russia. These people are very savvy. And I think the president is being really is is serving himself really poorly going into these negotiations um, with uh, with what seems to me. uh, And and you can judge this by what people said uh, about the run up to the Singapore summit, uh, a, a real sort of not a, just a lack of understanding of the issues, but almost a uh, a proud ignorance of those issues of saying sort of I don't need to know about that. What I know, what I need to know is I can look at them, I can look at these people, I can look at Kim Jong Un, I can look at Vladimir Putin, and I know right from that moment. Well, these these are guys whose who, whose entire political and and, and uh, political yeah. careers are built on uh, uh, basically tricking people, tricking the, the people in their country, or tricking the people in their government. Uh, uh, and I think they're 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 likely to trick uh, the president as well. Yeah, I mean, if they if they have the read, then what they know is okay. You know, you 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 kiss up to the guy, um, get him to give away. You know, I don't know Crimea, NATO, Syria, and then 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 knowing that he will walk out the door and proclaim that he is, you know, had, had j- just uh, pulled off this great coup, that it was a tremendous victory. Because if it is all about the photo op and what you say you did rather than what you did. That, that gives guys like Vladimir Putin a rather significant scope for uh, for maneuver, doesn't it? I th- I, th- this, I think so. <laughs> this is exactly what happened with the Obama administration and the Iran mm. deal, yes. right? I mean, yeah. when, the, when you sit down at a negotiating table and you are more invested in in the outcome being positive than the other side is, because you know Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong Un could give a crap about what public sentiment is, you know, or or what poll numbers look like. They are authoritarians who don't you know, their lives don't depend on that. Uh, and so you know, like for instance, the all Trump has to do with North Korea is just simply not admit that it was a failure. And this means that if you're the North Koreans, yeah. you can do anything to him because he's not going to say it's a failure. He now can't. See, by, this by is what I was getting at. You, you, you've you done this more directly with more clarity and lucidity than I did. But, because, but I mean, is a, this is – and once you figure that out, oh, my God. Right. But but this is – again, this is something which conservatives and Republicans seemed to understand very acutely during the entire nuclear deal, uh, you know <laughs> – disaster that we just went through with Barack Obama 24 months ago or whatever it was. Uh, you know, they understood how dangerous it is when you go into a negotiation as the side that is desperate to have something work out and then is mortgaged to declaring it a success no matter what. Uh, and now they simply, you know, well, hey, whatever, he's our guy. Of such. Well, on that on, on that cheery note, as we go into the second half of 2018, uh, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very, very much. And uh, over the next couple of days, I think we're going to uh, be – these are the, the last few days we'll talk about anything other than the Supreme Court, I think, for the next several months. Thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back again tomorrow, and we will do this all over again. <laughs>